The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Something is wrong with our community. We either need more people to go do jury duty or less crimes, or we all need to commit felonies so we don't have to go to jury duty. I don't know the solution. But when I saw a pastor there, and he was not on the defense side, he was also in the jury duty pool. Um, yeah, he was in the back. He was in the back row Baptist thing. But I was up front looking. I was cheating. I was working on my sermon. Because I, I don't have a lot of time, but I, this sermon has been on my heart for at least three weeks. I think he, when he asked me, it was the first passage that I said, what about that one? And then I tried to get out of it. Because it's not easy. It also isn't one that makes me look like a great preacher. Um, is that okay? <laughs> uh, it is a simple message out of the book of James. If you'll go to James chapter 2. Uh, will be there. James is a book that is not written, let's just say he doesn't write the way Paul writes. Paul is very eloquent, very formal, uh, very deep, and James is telling you, stop it, dummy. You need to, these are the things you need to do. He's the half-brother of Jesus, um, and, uh, by most accounts. There's not consensus there, but that's the traditional thought. And it is practical advice for Christians most of them were Jewish convert Christians at this point, not a lot of Gentiles in the church. And it was him writing a letter from the wisdom and the experience he gained from simply being raised with Jesus and seeing him. And at the very beginning of chapter 1, he doesn't just say, this is you know, from my brother. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognized his own brother, or half-brother, as the Savior. I have a brother. He would have to be perfect for me to say that about him. Absolutely perfect. He knew firsthand, yeah, he's, he's definitely the Messiah. I saw him throughout life. I saw him at his death. I know the testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's some wisdom for me to share with you in pretty plain speech. Um, one of the things they did in our... What time do we get done? One? It was like 1 o'clock when we got done with our jury duty, and we were the ones rejected. For some reason, they didn't want the Baptist preacher or the Baptist missionary on a extremely serious crime. Um, I don't know why. We were honest guys, I think. Um, but when they had me up in the chair, they asked me a bunch of questions. They asked me if I had any military experience. No, kidding. Do you have any police experience? No. Do you have a firearm? Brandon wanted to tell him, none of your business. But uh, I said, yes, sir, I do. And would that influence your opinion if this, there was a firearm used in the crime that you may sit on? No, sir. Do you have children? 
I do. What are their ages? And they dug and dug and dug. It was, we didn't get done until 1 o'clock. We weren't asked all of the questions, but they were asked, and they were digging and digging and digging. Do you know what they were looking for? Anybody? A reason to kick us out. (laughs) They wanted to see if we could be unbiased. If we could put aside our preconceived notions, our past experiences, and human nature to give that person that was on the defense a fair, reasonable trial. That doesn't mean you're going to not pass judgment. It doesn't mean you're not going to say he did it. It means you're going to follow the law as outlaid, equally, fairly, with no double standard across the line. And I told you, I tried and tried and tried to get out of this passage. And then I went to jury duty. And I said, the Lord, or the, the world expects us, or at least our nation expects us, to judge righteously. To judge righteous judgment. To be fair and not double standard. And told you, I, I read about this before they sent me the summons. They don't give you a lot of time to try to get out of it. Um, let's read James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And if you'll excuse me, I'm reading out of King James. I wanted to do New King James, but it was really hard for me to study out of, uh, just from practice. So I did read through the New King James. It does follow along fairly closely, um, and there's no issue. that All the meaning is the same. It's just, if you'll have patience while I read, I'll try to read slowly. Chapter one, or chapter two, verse one. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a golden ring in goodly apparel, and there come in him also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect of him that weareth the fine clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou in the good place, and ye say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Let's pray and we'll get into it. Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that you would guide my thoughts, guide the the message, Lord. I know that this is what you laid on my heart for tonight. I pray that it would be uh, what you have uh, for us this evening. Help me to be not just a hearer or a speaker of this, but to be a doer as well. I pray that you would bring uh, your love, your grace, and your wisdom in all of our dealings, Lord. As we open your word, I pray that you would... Uh, guide and direct. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, thank you for uh, praying with me on that. I always try to start with um, just a, a prayer to focus on this. You see, this passage to me was impactful because it, I recognized how difficult it is to not look at the outside. And as the speaker, it's hard to not get up here and want to look good. I don't want to get up here and look like a fool. Pastor Brandon, do you ever want to get up here and just completely look like a clown? Because I've done it. I've gotten down, I've I've preached before and said, I really blew that one. They're going to think I'm dumb. They're going to think I'm an idiot. They're going to think I'm a heretic. They're going to kick me out. When we were missionaries, we had to try to raise support the way that we did our missions raising was we'd go to a church, we would preach, we would show them the gospel, we would tell them what we were going to do, tell them about ourselves, and we'd go away thinking, well, blew that one. It's hard not to judge. It's really hard not to feel judged. And I don't want 
I don't know anyone in here well enough to say this is your problem, except for me. This is my problem. It's so difficult for us to not look at the clothing, the demeanor, the haircut, the tattoos, the lack thereof, the piercings, the attitude, the facial expression, the the time they show up. Did they show up on time? Did they show up late? Was their handshake the right kind of handshake? We are really, really good at judging. We judge on football team, on time that they wake up, on time that they go to bed, on what they eat, whether they drink coffee, whether they drink energy drinks. We judge on everything, do we not? Let that not be said of this house. Now, thankfully, looking at this passage, for if there come to your assembly a man with a golden ring and fine clothes, and also a poor man in vile raiment, so two people, one dressed very nicely, golden ring, uh, he's got his Sunday vest on, and it looks good. He's a lawyer, he's got a snappy suit, uh, he, he's got it all together. And then someone else comes in that's having a hard time. Lost their job, lost their spouse, kicked out of their home. They're, they're just coming in here broken, defeated. Maybe they've never stepped foot in a church before. Which one of them do we want to invite to our lunch after church? It's hard. You say, well, we don't want that kind of person in here. We don't want. Now, I will say this about us the American church, we don't sell these as reserved seats. If we did, where are they? Because, like, no one wants these seats. These are the best seats in the house. And we can't give them away. Not not a dig, I promise. Um, But if you look in our history, not that long ago, some of our presidents have even, I visited when I was in the D.C. area, went to a church where I believe George Washington went. And when you go in this church, they had plaques on the pews, and it would say what family name was in there. You know what that's for? They bought that pew. That's their pew. That pew that they purchased, you, the President of the United States could come and his family would sit in the box seats at the church. And the, clo- the more you pay, the better seat you get. I was kind of shocked. I was like, really? Did they not read James? We're pretty good about not doing that. But we, don't ha- we do have some issues. Let's get into the passage. I'll get into my message and we'll go there. See, I believe that this passage clearly shows us that our faith is to be an impartial, unbiased faith. We are to be unbiased and impartial in how we present the gospel, who it goes to. See, we did not, we're not the judge here. We'll move on with that. Verse 1, have faith in Jesus, the Lord of glory, without respect of persons. Now, that's not to say without respect for persons. We should be respectful. Respect of persons. It's a kind of dated term. We would say partiality. We would say favoritism. We would say prejudice, racial bias, economic bias. Maybe they don't look right, talk right, dress right. Our faith, according to verse 1, is to be anything but biased. You see, when we do that, see, like oil and water, our faith is to be completely separate from our natural urges to pass judgment upon someone separately from what God's Word says. Now, I'm not saying... I. James is a hard book to preach because you want to qualify all of your statements. You want to say that this book says, and we'll get into it, but it says not to judge, but then other passages in Scripture say judge righteous judgment. 
or whichever, with, if you look at uh, Luke chapter 7 and, and, or, and other passages, you find that Scripture tells us to judge. But according to this, we're supposed to have one standard. It's not favoritism. It's, oh, come on up here. You look great. Come on up to the front row. we got a special seat for you. And, oh, you're not dressed right? Back row. Back row. We don't want that coming up on the, the stream. The live stream. We can't have you on the live stream dressed like that in our church. I say, we don't need that. We'll get there. Um, you see, verse 2 and 3 shows us that the wealthy, well-dressed, good-looking, smiling people were being treated like they were better than other folks. They're not in the church. Never, never. We wouldn't do that. I think our history and our culture says that stereotypically, the Christian community in America has done just that. I've been part of the problem. I have, at, I mean, especially when I was younger, and I just didn't understand the grace of God fully. I didn't understand, not that I do now, but when I didn't have the, the grace that God has given me more, I look at people and say, they don't want to hear the gospel. That person, they don't love God. They don't want anything to do with it. And most of the time, that was just me not being brave enough to say, have you heard about Jesus? Hey, where, what are you doing Sunday? What are you doing on Thursday, March 2nd? Maybe you should come out to, to have a dinner with us. But I made the judgment through a standard that wasn't God. So looking at this, see, being poor is not a sign of wickedness. If it is, I was wicked my whole life. My wife and I grew up very poor. Um, she was the oldest of seven, raised in a 700 square foot home thereabouts, um, and I was middle income until my folks divorced, and then we were trailer living, troubled neighborhoods, rough bus kids. Both of us were bus kids. We came to church because someone else cared enough to take these raggedy little bus kids to church. If they would have had respect as persons, we probably would not have come to Christ. Anyway, um, it should go without saying, but God's house ought not to have preferred seating. We should do it differently here. We should, uh, yeah, we should invite those that look nice. We should invite those that are well-dressed. We should talk to the clean cut. But is that all? Uh, today was an unusual day. My wife substitute teaches at a Christian school about 40 minutes from here. And I picked up my, or I went by after work, and I brought some Coke slushies. I was like, hey, we're going to meet right at the right time. And Felicity, my youngest, she's six. Daddy, 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 can I ride with you? Please, 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 please. please. I'm not joking. It was the longest please. There were 18 E's in the middle. She was, please, can I ride with you? And I said, sure. And on the way back, she was my test subject for this passage. And I said, Felicity, she's six. If somebody comes in and they're dressed really nice, She's got her hair done nice. She's got a nice dress on. She's got a nice jewelry, her nice earrings. Her, her shoes are amazing, good purse. And then someone else comes in, and they look like they've been on the playground all day. Which one do you want to sit up front? And she goes, the one with the nice... No? Both? She caught herself. That's good. That's a good step. And then I continued. I said, well, which one do you think you should invite to sit with you? Either? 
and I, this is a six-year-old. I didn't load the questions. I was trying to be fair and impartial. I said, well, which one do you think God loves more? Neither. She kind of got really sad. And I said, well, which one do you want to, to know about Jesus more? Dad, why are you asking this question over and over? It's the same thing. Know that it sounds like surely. Why would? Why are you wasting our Wednesday with this? Because James said, "Hey, stop it. It's come to my attention that some of us are giving preferred seating to people based upon this. And I like this. It makes me feel comfortable to speak in front of you. I like hiding behind it. But heaven forbid that I." don't share the gospel because someone's got a different skin color, a different accent, a different attitude, a different outlook, a different background. Heaven forbid that I look at somebody and say, they're not really our type of person. Anyways, we're going to move on. When we ignore the reality that people are just people, we do at least three things. We One, we take glory that belongs to God and we give it to someone else because we think they're worthy. Say, oh man, look how good they are. They must be a really good person. Look at how God's blessed them. Look at that verse 1 according to this. Hey, the Lord of glory. That's Jesus Christ. He's the one that controls it. He's the master of glory. He's the owner of glory. He's rightfully owed all glory and honor and power. And we say, no, no, no. Come on up here, brother. You're the one. Do we really say that? No, but our actions betray our hearts. My actions have betrayed my heart so many times where I've just thoughtlessly thought that someone who looks nice is going to love Jesus more. Now, who really loves the Lord? <laughs> the forgiven. The hurting. The desperate. The weak. The frail. The, the poor. We'll get to that passage, or that verse here in a second. Wealth is no indicator of God's glory. And when we put God's glory on someone because they look nice, we're robbing God of what's His and His alone. In this house, we only ought to worship God. Not, not even a preacher that looks nice and has nice shoes. Now, respect and honor, sure. But in its place, not a respect of persons. Anyways, when we come to the worship, it should always and must always be about God. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, and it is all His. You can look at Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 46 through 48, which say this. Then there arose reasoning amongst them of which apostle should be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And he said to them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Hey, do you know anyone dirtier than a child? I don't. I've got four, and mine love dirt. I think one of them might eat it. And I will tell you this, that they come in with a trail of it behind them. My house has more sand than I would like to admit. And if you come over, I've swept three times, I promise. It's still got sand. They're dirty, and you're going to put them next to you and say, this one, when you receive this dirty child as me, that's when you've gotten it. That's the person that's going to be the greatest, not the one that's dressed the nicest. Not the one that looks right, talks right, speaks right, acts right, does right, goes right. The one that We'll move 
Um, we hurt the name of Christ. So the first, we, we take glory that belongs to God and we transfer it to someone else. Number two, we hurt the name of Christ. You see, people are always watching. Always watching. And they watch the church like a hawk. They are judging us all the time. Because we've done such a bad job portraying the love of Christ as a whole. Over decades, they look at us and say, they don't love right. Hereby shall they know you are my disciples by who you seat up front, right? By how you dress, how you act, where you go. Or is it by how you love one another? How you love the least of these. How you honor God's commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. We'll get to that in a second as well. See, we hurt the name of Christ when we show favoritism based on anything other than the Word of God. See, we judge in a way that only God has the right to. Let's read um, a little passage. See, partiality, favoritism, um, is a prideful arrogance. And I am guilty of this. It's in my nature. It's in my nurture. It's in my environment. It is impossible not to seek that someone dress nice in a better place in a restaurant. Do you really want the riffraff coming in a four-star Michelin restaurant? No, put on a jacket. You can't even go golfing without the right jacket on. They told us if you show up to jury duty with the wrong clothes, you will be punished. They didn't say what it was. But contempt of court, possible fines, possible jail time for your flip-flops. That's not the standard here. This is a house of worship. The standard here is worship God. It's not anything else. See, partiality and favoritism is a prideful, arrogant sin. We become unqualified, unlawful judges. Look at James 4, 10-12, just across the page for most of you. It says this, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judges, judges his brother, speaks evil of the law, and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are thou that judgest another? Now, again, judge righteous judgment. There are scriptures all over that tell you how to judge. But this is not it, brothers and sisters. This is not it. Based upon the outward appearance, that's, that's how man sees things, according to scripture. God doesn't look at the outward, but the inward. We'll get to that passage here in a second. But the question I look at when I see this is, who are you? Who am I to say, you are worthy of the gospel? You are worthy of, this child is worthy of investing in, this child is not. Oh, they, they, these ones come from this area of Keystone, and these ones come from this area of Keystone. We don't want to include them in, in this or that. Now, our church is not guilty of that type of segregation. We do a very good job reaching out unilaterally to anyone that we can get to come in. And I've, I've, that's why we're here. Alyssa and I toured a lot. We visited a lot of churches before we settled. We didn't come here because we know Brandon. We didn't know he was here. We came because he had VBS. And it was open for everybody. And we said, well, let's put our kids in VBS while we find a church. You see, outreach works if you do it according to an unfavorite, or un, unbiased lack of favoritism without respect of person. You say we all need to reach somebody for Christ anyways. Um, you look at John chapter 7, verse 24. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. 
1 Samuel 16, 7, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man sees, but rather looketh on the... And for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I have judged a lot of people's motives with no right to do so. I've looked at the angry, the goth, the person that comes with big piercings, big lots of tattoos and vulgar mouth and bad clothes, and I've said, that person won't receive Jesus. That person won't listen if I invite him. That person won't listen to a Bible verse. And I have been flat out dead wrong. I have witnessed to a Muslim man on his deathbed, devout Muslim, for his entire life. He was in his early 60s, and in his last 24 hours was able to reach him with the gospel of Christ with zero interaction of the gospel before that. That's not me. In fact, I said this is a waste of time. Now, I went, and I prayed, and I sought, but I thought it was just to help that church member that wanted me to go see their family member. I did it for that person, not for the person. I said, there's no way. I was wrong. I looked at the outside and said, this guy's got a, a, a pictures of, of Mecca in his living room. Have you ever seen the big black cube and then the people walk around it? I said, there's no... He's got that in his living room. He makes his prayer toward Mecca every day, three times a day. He's not going to listen to this. I judge. You see, when we play this favoritism game, we make ourselves judges that we are unqualified to do this. Who are you? Who am I? See, we, we make ourselves unqualified judges. We overlook the working and calling of God as well. Look at this passage we're looking at here. Um, it says, verse 4, Are you not partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which is promised to them that love Him? According to verse 5, He has already done a great work in the poor in spirit. Now, they're poor on this earth, according to this passage. It's a qualifying statement. He doesn't say the poor. He says the poor on this earth. That implies that somewhere else they're not poor. Somebody comes in here and they're poor in this earth. We don't know what their account is in heaven. If it's been reconciled, if it's been wiped clean, who am I to say, that person doesn't love Jesus? I've done it. And I don't say that pridefully or to say, oh, we all have. I, Jeff Clifford, have passed judgment on people from a glance and I've had to ask forgiveness for it. I've done it we do it so naturally. As I mentioned in the beginning, Americans are really, really good judges. We love it. It's one of our favorite hobbies. It's one of our favorite we're we're probably amongst the best in the world. The Pharisees would give us a run, but we're up there. Anyways, moving toward the closing here. See, we simply cannot know what God is doing and what God has done and what he wants to do in the heart of another person. You look at Rahab or Paul, Saul, Legion, the woman at the well, the children that came to Jesus, you find Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. We don't know what God is thinking about that person. The plans, the intents that He has for them, we don't know. 
See, we forget the evils and ugliness of the wealthy. Look at verse 6 and 7. You have despised the poor. Do not the rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? See, we forget the ugliness of the wealthy because of how good they look on the outside. You put a bow on it and you say, it's great. Don't you love this ruler, this rich guy, the guy that's passing these laws against you, the guy that's persecuting the Christian? Don't you love these lawyers and doctors and philosophers and teachers that are in your culture that hate you? Don't They look good, don't they? And they blaspheme the name of Christ. Why do we pick and choose that? We forget because, ooh, shiny. Man, look at that suit. Oh, look at that. Man, have you seen their car? They must be. Forget that that's not how God judges. Look at Delilah. Man, Samson really messed that one up. Strongest man, strong with God, strong with man, set apart, probably could have had any girlfriend he wanted, any woman that he wanted to marry, and he chooses the one pretty thing that is going to hurt him the worst. He's dumb. He's just a guy. That being said, he should have known better. He looked at the outside and said, yeah, it looks good. Makes me feel special. Makes me feel good. I want it. He judged on the outside, and he paid for it. You see, um, I'm going to keep moving here pretty quick. Look at verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. Um, I could ask anyone in here, what's the golden rule? Josephine, do you mind? No, you're pretty shy. Um, (laughs) Sorry, wrong child of mine to bring in here. Um, the golden rule. Do unto others as... Okay, that's a pretty good rule. But what's better than the golden rule is the royal law. Not a rule, not a recommendation. The royal law. Kind of scary. The royal law. Let's read verse 8. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. A lot of wiggle room in that law. Well, I don't mind being treated that way, so I can treat them that way. That would be the golden rule. Just more of a principle, right? Well, people get treated rude all the time. If I'm rude to them, that's just life. No, according to this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you do it, you're doing well. Why does he add that little, you do well? First, Jesus said it. He was quoted there. But it's also a... Hey, if you can manage that, you're doing pretty good. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard. You ever, the reason they asked me all those questions on the jury council thing is they wanted to see if I had anything in my past that was going to make me treat that defendant poorly or think of him negatively before he got a fair chance. Friends, we're going to have interactions with people that aren't like you, that aren't thinking like you, that don't love you, don't love your God, don't want to be here, don't want to hear about your Bible, don't want to see it, and you're going to have to say, you're going to put aside your bias and say, I can faithfully, truthfully give them the same chance to hear the gospel that I would anyone else. Anyway. Um, Favoritism is a sin, and it's deadly serious. Looking at verse 9 and 10, if you have respect of persons, you commit sin, and are convinced or convicted of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. We know that verse. We take that one out of this passage. And we use it properly, but we don't realize that it's not talking about if if you commit adultery, then you're guilty of all, or murder, then all. It's talking about even favoritism. 
this unbiased, or this unreasonable double standard of not treating everyone equal under Scripture. It's like, it's not that bad. I just, I have history. I don't like uh, Seminoles fans. I just, if you knew them, you wouldn't like them either. If you had my experience, you wouldn't like Seminoles fans either. It's great to hate Florida State. It rhymes. It has to be true. And we know this from experience. Sorry if you like Seminoles. I don't know why you would, but I'm sorry if you do. Um, This is why I moved to Keystone. Um, And we think it's not that bad. It is. Okay, well, I just don't want to have any dealing. Jesus spent time with publicans and sinners. Why? Because His grace was sufficient for them and for me and for you. For the wealthy, for the poor, for man and woman, for ugly and beautiful, for fast and slow, fat and thin, tall and short, firm and infirm, he died for us all. I know that's a simple thought, but James here is obviously having to bring it forth. And my final section or thought would be the Christian standard is simply higher. It's higher than human behavior. It's supernatural. It has to come from God. You cannot love people the way you're supposed to without God. Verse 12 and 13, and I'll close. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy to him that showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Friends, say, I'm saved. I won't be judged anymore. According to this, speak and do as those that are going to be judged by the law of liberty. Oh, the law of freedom, that's easy. That's not that hard. It's actually worse. It gets worse. Because now it's not just what you're doing. It's what you're saying. It's what you're thinking. It's how you're portraying the, the, the love of Christ. It's, it's the whole heart issue. Not the hand, it's the heart. You, The last verse I'll read is this. If you look at Luke 7.47, it says, I say unto you, and this is speaking of the woman that uh, used the precious ointment to wash Jesus' feet. She says, Her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. My big question, the whole question, the whole point of this whole thing is, how big is your love? How much have you been forgiven? Little or a lot? Oh, we like to judge other people, but let's just take a minute and judge ourselves. How big is my mistakes? How big are my sins? How big are my failures? How great is the gulf between me and God without the love of Christ? Have I been forgiven much or little? Because that's the amount that I should love my neighbor. It's the the two debtors that one was forgiven a lot, one was a little. Are you vengeful or are you forgiving? How does this apply? See, none of us are telling people where to sit. Who are you going to witness to this week? Who are you going to share the love of God to? Is it only rich people, only poor people, only clean cut, only foreigners, only missionaries should do it? You should only do it in, in Costa Rica or in, in Cuba. You should only do it to normal looking people, smiling people, happy people, people who have time. Or should you say, I'm going to share the love of Christ in an unbiased, unfiltered, unmitigated way that shows Jesus is Lord of my life and He loves you as much as He loves me. It's a simple thought. 
Who are we going to include? Who's good enough for the grace of God? <laughs> Who are we going to put up front? I know that I'm right at the time limit, probably over. Brandon will not let me do this for a couple months, so I had to try. But the reality is this. I don't want to have a faith that only puts the fancy up front. I thought about coming in an older shirt underneath this, and I was going to cut the sleeves and put some something on and mess up the back and have it looking good up front, and then take off my jacket and show that underneath, you don't know. I decided that none of my shirts were in that state, that they were ready to be sacrificed for the cause. But I thought about it, and I was like, well, I don't want to be gimmicky. But the thought remains, you don't know, and I don't know. Christ does. And what Christ knows is this, that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Friends, I love you. I want to love my neighbor. Will you help love this neighborhood? They need it. If we learned anything of the Bradford Courthouse, our neighbors need the love of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for tonight. I pray for grace and for patience. Uh, I know that I can be a little long-winded. I pray that this is a message that, um, although simple and in some ways shouldn't have to be said, Lord, I pray that it's something that we can uh, take and chew on and walk with. Um, I'm sure that that's why you moved upon James to pen this and to preserve this for us, Lord. I know that your word is uh, not going to return void, and I ask that you would help me to live up to the standard that I've laid forth, and Lord, that we would take this seriously in our communities, Lord. Uh, you are gracious enough for the, the wealthy and the poor, and it's our job just to be impartial in how we present this. We ask this in Christ's name.